Hey, Pluckies. I wanted to give a little shout out to my production team here on the Plucking Up podcast, Human Group Media. In addition to being a social impact company themselves, they are behind some webby winning and chart topping podcasts that I think you all might like. They produce shows like That Feminist Fire, a narrative podcast about gender and justice. Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter, and Forces for Good, which talks about how businesses can help solve some of the most pressing social and environmental issues of our time. Their network of shows cover mental health and climate change and human rights and so much more. You can head over to Human Group Media or just type in Human Group Media on your favorite podcast app to start listening. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups. Our guests share their sometimes never-before-told mistakes, rejections, wrong turns, and the more difficult seasons of their lives and careers. But they're also sharing with us how they moved on and up and through to keep creating and inspiring others to build lives of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your lucky and plucky host, Liz Bohannon. Welcome back, pluckies. I hope y'all had a great end of 2022, maybe even a little time for rest and relaxation and reflection over the holidays, and that you are coming in to 2023, you know, maybe feeling a little plucky. And what I love about pluck is that it means spirited and determined courage. And what I love about courage is that for every single one of us, courage looks different. We all have this idea, not we all, but some people have this idea, right? That courage is people that like jump out of airplanes and that, you know, do these wild things or negotiate hostages or whatever it is. And the reality is I really believe that courage can mean leaning into the parts of ourselves that maybe haven't been celebrated or nurtured. It can mean asking really hard questions of ourselves and our own tendencies that actually maybe we feel like are keeping us back from being who we were fully created to be. And I know for myself, my definition of courage lately has looked like something that I think no one in the world would look at and be like, oh, that woman is brave. She's so courageous. I'm, I'm so used to kind of like going out into the world and, and being big and wanting to take risks. And I am feeling in a season of just this sense of like actually what courage would look like for you is pausing and considering and what courage would look like for you is not operating out of a scarcity mentality but out of a mentality of abundance that actually can lend itself to a different pace a different way of rhythm I guess of making decisions and of living my life and it's just interesting that it's like I know no one is ever gonna like give me a Nobel Peace Prize (laughs) you know right for saying actually I'm gonna say no to this thing 
because I just want to create a little bit of margin in my life for rest or for my kids or for creativity. And that sometimes it's those more really quiet and subtle things that might not look hard to anybody else, but that we know are really acts of courage for ourselves. It's also why I think close, authentic, transparent community is so important. So when I say I hope you're feeling plucky coming into this year, I want to say in whatever way courage and pluck looks like for you. And if that's in a way that people around you are going to be able to see this transformation or this risk that you're taking or this amazing adventure that you're going on, I'm cheering you on. And I'm saying go be fully who you were created to be and bring your light and your goodness and your magic to the world in new and scary and really challenging and interesting ways. And if if what pluck looks like for you is, I don't know, opening up some old wounds and giving space to grief or creating rhythms of rest or cultivating a relationship that is really important to you that you haven't prioritized, but it's smaller and it's quieter and it may be something that folks don't notice or cheer for you on social media about, I want to say to you also, I'm rooting for you and go, go into the world and bring your light and your goodness and your magic. And we want to be cheering you on. Speaking of amazing adventures, I just feel like it would be remiss if I didn't tell you I took a break over the holidays. And one of the things that I was doing while I was on break was literally circumventing the entire globe. I have had the amazing fortune of traveling a lot throughout my adult life. I say adult life because I didn't necessarily grow up traveling unless you count, you know, driving the minivan down to Destin, Florida from Missouri as travel, which it is. That is one type of travel. But I have traveled a lot in my life, but I have never flown literally all across the globe. So I left. I headed east. I did a stopover in Europe, got to see one of my best friends. I went with my business partner. We did a ton of just trend and design research in Madrid, which by the way, all of a sudden I'm like, how how did I not know about this? Like, how is everyone not wanting to live in Madrid? I loved it. I was so enchanted. Also, just the style, the design, the color it was exactly what we dreamed it would be for our work purposes for designing our new and upcoming collection for Noonday Collection. And then we went to India and spent the bulk of our time in India meeting with artisan partners. It was so special to me because we have had artisan partners based in India for five years now that I have been in close working relationship with. But thanks to COVID and my own fertility, being pregnant and breastfeeding, I had not met these partners. So for me, travel, it just lights me up. It lights me up. It makes my brain work in a new way where I just feel more awake and open to curiosity and to learning and to just having having that beginner's spirit in that beginner's mindset of just like, I've never been here. I don't know what's up. And just leaning in with a lot of curiosity and humility and openness and wonder. So I think we have an interesting take on rest. And we have to know for just like courage, right? Like courage for you might look really different than courage for me. But for both of us, it's about what does it mean to kind of push ourselves out of those comfort zones or out of those old kind of narratives of what you need to do or how you need to behave in order to be loved and accepted. And rest is similar in the sense that it's like, I mean, make no mistake, this trip was exhausting. 
literally like, I don't even know, 10 different time zones in 12 days, plane rides and six hour car rides and not sleeping. And I mean, I was like physically exhausted and also my spirit felt really rejuvenated. So sometimes when I hear people talk about rest, I'm like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Like watch soap operas and stay in bed all day. And for you, that might be it. I don't even know if soap operas are still a thing. Comment and let me know. (laughs) Are soap operas still happening? Also, the second half of my holiday break was filled with the plague and just a series of rotating viruses through our house. So there was a lot of actually really fun, amazing, Instagram-worthy highlights. And then, frankly, there were a lot of contagious body fluids and miserable days in the Bohannon house. And we were really kind of army crawling towards the finish there. So just to keep it real, not all highlights. You know, we love to do that on the Plucking Up show is to make sure we are also talking about those less than glamorous behind the scenes looks. You know what? A great segue as we talk about the Plucking Up podcast. I'm really excited because there's been a break in the show, but unbeknownst to you, I was secretly continuing to interview people and I have a lot of conversations lined up for you that I'm just really excited to share. And speaking of just curiosity and growth and humility, this show continues to be a tool for that in my own life where I encounter folks with different stories and backgrounds and perspectives. And I love just leaning in and with every single guest, I want to have the posture of like, I have something to learn. There is something in this conversation that is for me to grow, to noodle on, to wrestle with, to be encouraged by. And there is something in this conversation for somebody that is listening. And so I just love this sense of curiosity and wonder that this show brings me and that these conversations bring me. Okay, so our guest today, I was just so tickled to see this on our agenda because we are interviewing Lo Bosworth. So if you don't know who Lo Bosworth is, she was a reality star. She famously featured in MTV's Laguna Beach, the real Orange County in 2004. So I don't know how old you are listening to this, but Laguna Beach hit. I was in high school when Laguna Beach came out. I think it was like maybe my last year of high school. And so it was just like a cultural moment for me. First of all, I grew up in Missouri and seeing these teenagers from California and LA, it was just like, wow, okay, we are not in Kansas anymore. Anyway, to see her name pop up and to then actually see what is going on in her world and what she has been creating and making and innovating. And I really just enjoy kind of the honest conversation about how her past has influenced where she is today. And, you know, that's like a deal to be like put on TV when you're 17. It was like basically like a giant social experiment. Like reality television wasn't a thing that we really knew and understood. And so as part of that, Lo opens up and she speaks to us about a lot of the bullying that she faced and and the challenges of being a teenager on reality television. She shares about some body image insecurity and experiencing what so, so, so many women and some men go through as teenagers and as young adults. And she explains how learning, speaking of taking care of yourself and rest, how learning 
to take care of our bodies and to have more self-knowledge can actually, again, lead to just flourishing on every level for ourselves and for our communities. In Lowe's new book, Love Yourself Well, an empowering wellness guide for supporting your gut, mind, and vagina, she provides important natural solutions to intimate problems that a lot of women experience. So if vagina really threw you off in that book title, I love it. I love that she is normalizing and talking about women's health. I love that she is tackling a topic that is taboo. It's coming becoming less taboo, which I'm really super grateful for, but I think we still have a lot of room to grow. And she's just smart and she's savvy and she's passionate. And I'm really excited for you to hear today from Lo Bosworth. So if I haven't lost all credibility with that very long intro, I'm still going to say, without further ado, here's our conversation with Lo Bosworth. I just got back actually from a literal round the world trip. I was in wow. Europe and then India and Japan. And I just eat, I eat, I eat everything. I eat street food. Amazing. I eat things that other people are just like, that's not a safe thing to eat. It's great. So my gut, I feel like can just take a pounding. However, when you reverse it, when I'm experiencing anxiety, immediately it's in my gut, like within minutes. Of, so it's like, I don't feel like my gut throws off my brain, but I feel like my brain can totally throw off my gut. Yeah. And it's wild that it's like, I mean, ni- a 90 second connection between like, I'm having an anxious <laughs> or panicked thought and my stomach starts hurting or I start having like GI stuff. Yeah. It's just wild how closely all of it is connected. Yeah. Well, um, the vagus nerve runs from the brain through your gut into the vagina. So that's like a fiber optic cable that runs through the body. Basically, you can think of the vagus nerve as kind of like the cord that powers the internet within your body, right? And so if you are having some kind of neurological distress, it makes sense that you would feel it in your gut. You've heard of the term gut feeling, right? Or you have a feeling in the pit of your stomach. It's because the gut and brain are connected, not only by the vagus nerve, but also um, by the bacteria that are in your microbiome, a huge amount of your happy hormones are actually produced in your gut. All the serotonin that we talk about Mm. is manufactured and produced in your gut. And then it is sent through the bloodstream up to the brain, crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it makes you happy. So when you're having leaky gut problems, um, you know, your hormone factories are really not operating in the way that they should be. So yeah, the brain gut connection is fascinating, but the gut vagina connection is just as fascinating to me. I'm so passionate about it because when I started my company back in 2016, I was having depression and anxiety issues. And I was having personal care problems. I kept getting UTIs and yeast infections. Mm. And it took me a really long time to figure out why. It actually told me took me 18 months of doctor's appointments for a doctor to finally give me a simple blood test that revealed that I had really severe vitamin deficiencies. Mm. And you're thinking, okay, how are vitamin deficiencies tied into all of that? But it turns out if you have a gut health issue from eating inflammatory foods or drinking too much alcohol, taking too many antibiotics, et cetera, you create a gut health issue and create absorption issues for vitamins. And if you have gut health issues, it causes vaginal health problems because 
there's a phenomenon um, that happens with your gut bacteria and your vaginal bacteria, the microbiome. It's called quorum sensing. And basically, it is when your gut bacteria essentially... You can think of it as like they're like texting the the bacteria in your vagina (laughs) and they're like, hey, we're in really good shape here in the gut. And so you can be in really good shape in the vagina or the opposite effect of that. Right. The bacteria in the gut are in bad shape. And so they tell the bacteria in your vaginal microbiome to also be in bad shape. And your vaginal microbiome is responsible for keeping you healthy. Those vaginal bacteria actually create that acidic pH that is responsible for protecting you from infection and irritation um, in the vagina. Right. And so that acidic pH balance basically prevents the overgrowth of bad bacteria, yeast protects you against all kinds of bad stuff. And so maintaining that vaginal microbiome and the direct connection to the gut microbiome is critically important for women's health. So we go into that in great detail in the book. Mm. And I'm just so excited to be able to really share the science behind why, you know, this category exists, right? Mm. I see a lot of companies make a lot of products and they talk about the benefits of the products, but they don't tell you why or how they actually work. (laughs) Mm, And so I'm really excited to be able to do that and really share that science for the first time. Because if you're educated, you're you're empowered, you know? Yes, absolutely. And specifically in women's health, we're just, I had a guest we were just talking about, it was kind of more in the menopausal stage of life of just like the amount of research is shockingly low for women's health. Yeah. And it's obvious to, you know, we, we look at who's doing the research and who's funding the research and it's obvious why that's happening. But I'm going to take a wild guess and I could be wrong, but I'm going to take a wild guess and guess that seven or eight year old low was not totally assuming she'd be talking about vaginal microbiomes when she (laughs) on podcasts several decades ahead. And I'm curious to kind of rewind a little bit in this story and give our listeners, you know, part of what we love to do on this show is kind of demystify the road. You're obviously very passionate about this mission that you're on. There's a lot of purpose and you're making an incredible impact but oftentimes the road to get there isn't quite as straight and narrow as some folks assume it is. And so I would love if you would, can you rewind and kind of take us back to (laughs) tell us just a little bit about like, where'd you grow up? Yeah. What was your childhood? And I'm, I'm curious about what did life pre reality television look like for you before that fateful day in the hallway when MTV came to your high school? (laughs) So you are absolutely correct. Um, nobody's story is linear <laughs> or straight, right? And my narrative is really in- interesting, especially over the past couple of years. I, you know, still am transitioning from, you know, byline of former reality star to mm. entrepreneur. But I grew up in Southern California in Laguna Beach. Um, I was very, very lucky to grow up in a really fantastic community where I could, you know, get outside and go to the beach. Um, My parents actually went on their very first date in the neighborhood that we ended up 
growing up in. That's so cute. <laughs> so they're like romantics. So they went on this this first date on this beach. They snuck into this beach and then they decided, all right, this is where we want to live. So that's where I grew up. Um, but growing up, I've always really been fascinated in science and you know biology and the body. And I actually, as a kid, did want to be a doctor. Hmm. But I am not very good at math. And so in college, <laughs> I really struggled in like chemistry and all mm-hmm. sort of like the prereqs mm-hmm. required to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. And then this thing happened to me where I was also on television. And so my life took like a pretty serious pivot. I guess when I was a senior in high school, right, all of a sudden I was cast onto this television show and that changed the course of my life forever. Um, I think at sometimes, sometimes in my life, I've thought, oh my God, this has changed my life for the worse. But now as somebody mm. who's a little bit older, I definitely see that it's for the better. And I sit in an incredible position of privilege because of my experiences. But I've always been interested in health and wellness um, and, you know, how to be healthy. What do I need to eat? What do I need to do? I've always been a huge advocate for my own health and for the health of people around me and my family members and things like that. Um, And so when I finished TV, that was in 2010, I think the Hills wrapped up. And real quick, before before you finished, when when you and your family, so you said you were what, 16, 17? How old are seniors in high school? I was 16. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so you're like, you're very much so a minor. So I'm I'm guessing that Child. you and your family <laughs> made this decision together. Will you tell us a little bit as that was kind of one of the the early pivotal decision-making points Absolutely. in your kind of career? What was the rationale? Like you, you and your parents sat down and it was like, we're saying yes because dot, dot, dot. I, you know, I don't really know why we said yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was not really very excited. Okay. My dad, I think he has always been the president of a company or head of sales. And so I think he sort of saw maybe the opportunity for something mm-hmm. bigger to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he was a little more open to the idea. But to be totally honest with you, when we signed up, we had no idea what right. we were getting into to be yeah. Like, we didn't know. Um, I don't even think people at MTV really knew what the show, what Laguna Beach, the first season, was going to be. And it just came together as we filmed the season, I suppose. We really were under the impression that it might end up being a one-hour TV special, real life, I live in Orange County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had no idea. We had no idea. We had no idea. We didn't have talent agents. We didn't have, you know, we were just like kids living at the beach. We had no clue. And it exploded and I was not prepared. Nobody was prepared. And it it really, yeah, I mean, it changed my life forever. I'm kind of curious given, so I, I have young kids and so I'm like, I spend a lot of mental energy, I feel like, trying to anticipate once technology becomes a thing that they engage with, how are we going to do that? Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then usually I'm like, we don't even know. It's it's not even <laughs> worth thinking about right now because in 10 years when my oldest probably is in that life stage, it's going to be something completely different that I'm not anticipating. But I'm thinking right now, I think about my friends who have teenagers and just like it a little bit feels like our kids are kind of in a experiment 
where it's like yeah. we're just throwing things at them. We don't really know how it's impacting them. We're starting to get more of that knowledge. But it kind of feels like you were a little bit a part of the reality television experiment. Like, right? Wasn't Laguna Beach like yes. one of the very, very it earliest? Was, it like, was one of the very first reality TV shows. And Laguna really created that genre of like, you know, kind of like documentary style I don't know, drama, real life dramas. <laughs> yeah. So how do you reflect now being an adult and that very much so kind of being in the past? How do you reflect on being a kid in the midst of kind of like this broader social shift that's happening? You don't even know that you're a part of it, but it's like and the people that were probably creating it didn't even know at certain points. But how do you reflect on that of like you were kind of in this like Wild West frontier where we didn't even have the genre yet. We didn't know what the implications on people being involved would be. Yeah. Just like what's your what's your narrative around that? At yeah. This point in life? I mean, gosh, when we were first starting that show or at least, you know, when MTV came to our school, I don't even think I had a cell phone <laughs> right. yet. That's how different yeah. it was yeah. when we first started. And, you know, it's has been scary and uncomfortable at times to be sort of living the experiment <laughs> day to day. Right. And like I said, there's so many benefits that come with being a public figure, right? A lot of job security and, you know, access and things like that. But there's also a lot of downsides, right? Mm -hmm. Socially, it can be weird. You know, do your friends actually like you? Can, you know, can you go on dates? It's, you know, you you gain a lot and you and you lose a lot also potentially. And, you know, I had no idea that that was going to be my experience experience right. because just no nobody knew right right and i think what's interesting is that and um not to say thanks to everybody else on the internet but as the internet has gotten bigger it's continually expanding right and social media continues to expand and sort of being able to gain notoriety has really been democratized to a certain degree right i feel like way less of a weirdo. <laughs> mm. Like, you know, yeah. for a long time, I was like, oh my God, there's not like that many people in the public eye. And you know what I mean? But now there's so many people who are known quantities. And so I would just like to thank everyone on the internet who's like ever made a video. <laughs> everyone who's famous. Yes. Thank you for I'm making my, me feel a little bit less alone. No, that yeah. is really interesting <laughs> because I mean, you definitely see, you know, over the course of the last several decades, that it's like we've gone from such a tiny, tiny, tiny part of our population being in the public sphere and I yeah. to I read a stat and I don't know what it is. And unfortunately, I don't have one of those fact checkers. on okay. the show. <laughs> there was like the amount of people on the Internet that have more than like a million followers. And it's it probably was a lot. So big. Yeah. It was so big. And I just think about even like media you know, it's like, uh, how many platforms are there? How many shows? The amount of content that's being created. Yeah. I don't. And of course, we still have like our hit shows, but our hit shows aren't even as like, it's not the same as it no, was like not. 10 or 15 years ago when a hit show was like literally everybody was watching it because there weren't that many other 
options. Whereas now I feel like even if you're on the most famous show, there's like a chance still a lot of people don't know who you are. 100%. <laughs> because to your point, it's just become like that. And, and so I'm sure like even cultivating a community or friends that can empathize with your experience today is probably a lot easier than it was 15 years ago. It is, certainly. I was way more of a weirdo 15 years ago than I am now. <laughs> is that, when you said that there was a season where you would have said that, that this was a bad thing that happened to you, what was your narrative during that season of like, what was the biggest cost to you that made you I feel like for a while, like yeah. this is not a good thing? It was when I was, my, my first two years of college, because that's when the very first show, Laguna, Before the Hills premiered. And I, it was actually my first week as a freshman at college when the very first episode of season one of Laguna Beach aired. And again, I didn't know what the show was going to be. And people in my dorm room, we all like watched it together. And as it was on TV, I just had this like awakening of like, oh my God, <laughs> I everyone's looking at me different. Mm. And um, I was bullied so dramatically mm. in college. I would walk down the street and kids would yell at me. I would go to parties and they would play the Laguna Beach theme song when I walked in. <laughs> oh my God. And so it was so brutal. I was like, and I was a young college freshman. I was yeah. 17 when I went to college. Yeah. And I just... Like solo um, had to deal with an overwhelming amount of people all of a sudden know who I knowing who I was yeah like staring at me all the time and talking about me at parties and stuff and you know also probably thinking that they knew who you were but and I've never I mean right my experience with reality television is very limited. But my guess is that the way you were portrayed on the show was also very curated and edited and had its own storyline. So it's kind of like that's the weird thing about one of the hard things about reality or even like docudrama where it's just like there's a lot of creative liberty also. Oh, a hundred percent. It's so funny. I still get comments on my social media today about like, how could you be so mean to that person? I'm like, that, that was not real, man. That was not real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get with the times. <laughs> it's interesting. And I find I've, I feel really conflicted about like I watched The Crown and I loved it. But it's interesting. It's like I don't know that much about the monarchy. And so it's like, I feel like 90% of my knowledge about this institution is actually coming from entertainment, but it feels kind of real because they're real characters or like I'm watching We Crashed right now and it's all about, you know, the rise and fall of WeWork. They're real-ish. And and it's real-ish. The real-ish, I feel like almost kind of ethically torn about, like... It just feels like dicey ethical grounds to have some a character's likeness, but it's not documentary. Like, it's not a journalist who's saying, actually, my goal here is to portray as much of the just truth as I can. It's like, no, my goal is to really entertain people yeah. and to use real people's likeness. But my point being, I don't really know that what you experienced was that much different than that. I'm guessing it was edited enough and there was a strong enough storyline that it was like your likeness is being taken the f- the first season of Laguna Beach was still nice, I'd okay. say. I'll okay. put it in little yeah. air quotes. It's yeah. like, it was still sort of nice. It was still sort of innocent. And then I think the network realized what they had mm. created, and it was all downhill from there. Okay. And I think for a lot of people on reality TV, it's really challenging to come back from 
you know, what the general public thinks of you because of how you've been portrayed, right? You have to work really hard at creating and sharing your own narrative. Mm -hmm. But in that way, I'm so thankful for the internet and so thankful Mm -hmm. that social media exists because I can come on and have a direct conversation with you at any point about anything I want, right? But it's Pandora's box. And, you know, you don't always get what you wish for. And I think that people are starting to see that this type of fame is not all that it's cracked up to be and it's not that enviable and that um, a, a private life can be a pretty, pretty nice way to live. Yeah. So what when you decided to leave the show, did that decision, was that easy? Did that feel super clear? It's obviously the time or was that another kind of like, oh, I don't. What was your kind of decision-making process around that that next pivot point for you? Yeah, so I wrapped up the show in 2010, and then I moved to New York. And I think I made I think I made the decision even before the show was over that I'm pretty sure I'm done with reality TV. I'm pretty sure I want to be done with just entertainment in general. It took me a few more years to get to that point because I continued to make a living as a content creator. I still am, but was very heavily involved in the food space. I went to culinary school, so I was doing a lot of food content. But then ultimately, I made the decision that for me, living paycheck to paycheck, because in the entertainment industry, it's like you only get paid if somebody else decides to hire you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And every job is a one-off job. It's mm-hmm. a gig economy. And I am not somebody that mentally, emotionally deals with that very well. It doesn't yeah. feel like any real sense of security or grounding. And, and so, for you, is that primarily financial or is it also purpose and and both. worthiness and who's it's seeing all value? It's all of that. It's it. all of that. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, the money coming in to pay my bills and also, you know, the reason why I'm getting up every single day. And so for me, you know, I discovered when I moved to New York that I'm much more comfortable having a regular job mm. um, and going to work every day and having a steady paycheck versus being in the entertainment industry where you know, it's really a question mark every single day. It could be yeah. good for a year, for a couple of years, and then it could all go away. Yeah. And I just never could make peace with that. And that's a big reason why I started my company, honestly, yeah. because I needed to create consistency for myself. When you decided that, when you were like, you know what? Give me a night, like, give me a job, give me security, give me, give a, me a job, <laughs> give me a job. Did that feel to you? Was that like a, hey, this is, this is who I, did you assign judgment to that? Were you, did it feel like failure? Did it feel like you, no, positive path or you felt like, no, no this I was, was, I was, th- I was thrilled okay. when love wellness started to really work and you know, the business was growing really quickly. It's, it still is. But like when it started to work, I felt huge, a huge amount of relief, mm. a huge amount of relief. And today, like I'm in the office and I've been sick and I was so relieved to get up today and to have my job to come to. Yeah. So was this the first is starting Love Wellness? Was this the first thing that you did after leaving the entertainment industry? So right after the Hills, I actually worked at a management company and I had a nine to five job there and it was still too sort of like too close 
to comfort for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, It was challenging because then I was sort of like on the representation side for a little bit. And it was really hard for me to tell clients like, sorry, we don't have work for you. Really hard. Mm. And I just decided. Because you felt that level of empathy of like, I yeah. know what it feels like to be on the other side of this phone call. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. And so yeah. I thought, Ooh, this isn't it either. Um, so then I moved to New York and like I said, I, I focused on content creation for, you know, a period of time. So I really was, you know, my own boss, right? Like influencing back in the day and then started love wellness in 2016. And now we're over 30 full-time employees. We're sold at target at Ulta, you know, we're a best-selling personal care brand. The journey has been an incredible one. Will you tell us a little bit about kind of that in between before Love Wellness was born? What what was the spark? What was the idea? What was the problem you were trying to solve? And did yes. you ever? In, it, so you were entrepreneurial, right? Yeah, like in oh, yeah, entertainment yeah, yeah. and content. You're a solopreneur. Yeah. <laughs> While being a solopreneur, did you have a vision for you knew you wanted the security of a more regularly occurring paycheck, something that was bigger than just you, but did you imagine yourself? Like, were you like, yeah, I have it in me to build and scale a company or were you driven to go be an entrepreneur to build a company or were you driven by a specific problem to solve? You know, I've always been, (laughs) this is going to sound silly. (laughs) I've always been a lover of stuff like makeup, Uh wellness products, beauty. And I always thought it would be really cool to do something that is my own. Right. Hmm. And I think when I sort of entered the influencer economy, I got glimpses of this idea that individual people could start companies and kind of create brands. Mm -hmm. This was very early, but I think Mm -hmm. I sort of like got that inkling, right? The light bulb went on. But yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in building things, whether it is this company or, well, let me take you back to before Love Wellness. Like I said, I was really focused on food at the time and I had gone to culinary school and my talent agents were like, you know, I think we can get you a show on Food Network or Cooking Channel. And, you know, I was like in negotiations and like in that process to like get a cooking show because I love to cook. And you know how long it takes to get a show on TV, like greenlit, approved, paid for, whatever. And ultimately it fell apart. Like the executives decided, Mm. the executives over there were like, eh, we're not interested in you in talent anymore after like, you know, 15 months of conversations and we're going to move in a totally different direction. (laughs) And so was that that, like a specific moment? Was it like a slow, like, did it devolve over time or was it like you get a call on a Tuesday that's like, never mind? It was like it felt like it was unraveling and then the agents called and they're like so this isn't gonna happen (laughs) and it was like I had been working so hard at it for a couple of years and that really was a very pivotal moment for me when I had to decide what am I gonna do next what do I want to be what am I gonna do with myself it was really my quarter life crisis I think it happened Mm. when I was like 28 And it was at the same time that I started to experience all of these health concerns, depression, anxiety, personal care problems. And so it was really all compounded. And as a result, though, I started Love Wellness because I set myself on a journey to get better Mm because I was so uncomfortable in my body 
that I I had to do something about it. And, you know, traditional traditional approaches, drugstore solutions, doctor's appointments, they weren't really helping me. You yeah. know, I just kept going to the doctor and told like, oh, you're just stressed. Like, you're just depressed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was so much more than that. And so many women have that experience when they go to the doctor, right? And, you know, we really have to be our own advocates when it comes to our body. And like I said, it took me 18 months to get a basic blood panel done right to let me know that i had really severe vitamin deficiencies why did it take so long right but it was that journey of figuring it out research learning finding experts that believed me that were willing to help me um that allowed me to create this incredible business that has helped so many people So when you go back to this moment where it's like you've been working for several years on this cooking show, it's in somebody, to to your point of like, somebody else that ultimately gets to decide, is this going to fly or not? And you're, somebody outside of you has said, actually, no, this isn't going to happen. At the same time, you're experiencing some health challenges. How... Talk to us about the this kind of in-between when you went from this store's closed and I'm having all of these health things that I need to just figure out for myself to maybe this maybe there's actually an opportunity here and maybe this is a problem that other people are experiencing. How long? Or like, can you just tell us more about that? Yeah, I think it was, you know, six six months to a year probably. And it was when I... A doctor first introduced me to probiotics. I think at the time there was like one women's health probiotic that was like a very small mom and pop company that I got at some tiny health food store, but it really helped me, right? It helped uh, resolve a lot of my personal care issues. And then an incredible OBGYN taught me about boric acid, boric acid suppositories for the first time because I kept getting these like chronic infections. And I had to get boric acid uh, suppositories made at a compounding pharmacy. That sounds like something you do in the early 1900s. Hundred percent. I went to Thompson. <laughs> I went to Thompson Chemists on Thompson Street. I went to Thompson Chemists. I, I did walked down the cobblestone street to I the did. chemist to have my suppositories made. I, I didn't know my- that was a thing normal people could do. Hundred percent. I took my prescription, handed uh, in my hand, paper prescription in my hand. Walked into Thompson Chemist <laughs> in Soho. I was like, "Hi, can you make me these for my vagina?" <laughs> and okay, they absolutely worked, though. Like it was mm. absolutely incredible. And if mm. you read reviews of boric acid suppositories, you're like, "Oh my god, why has this not always been, you know, like yeah. a standard yeah. d- standard treatment?" But it was after I had used those two products, a boric acid and then a, like a great probiotic, that I started to actually actively search for companies that were making mm. these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there were zero. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm going to do this. Wow. And when I started thinking about something, oof, and I like the idea, you can't, you cannot stop me. <laughs> and so... I found great doctors, you know, who supported my early mission and great contract manufacturers who had excellent food scientists that could, you know, help put everything together in a safe and effective way. 
And I just decided to do it, honestly. I had a little bit of money left from my reality TV days. Mm -hmm. And I invested that little bit of money into my first 1,000 units of product. Yeah. (laughs) And did that feel, was that a scary (laughs) moment in the story for you? Like, did that feel like, okay. It wasn't scary. I was so excited. It was, I was so excited. I, I, I never was really afraid. Um, there have been plenty of moments I've been afraid over the last seven years running a business, right? Sure. I have a lot of people I'm responsible for. But at the get-go, I was not afraid. I was honestly excited. I mm. was afraid of what people would think of me mm-hmm. because back in 2016, talking about vaginal health was like very LOL. I have friends that told me, I thought you were out of your mind when you mm. were starting this business. And the press that was written about love wellness back in 2016 certainly reflected that feeling as well. Hmm. And it was a lot of female journalists being like, LOL, a vaginal health company? What is this for? And now... In 2016. Yes. People had no idea why products like the ones we make are valid and necessary because... Yeah, even in 2016, people didn't understand the gut microbiome, how it connects to the vagina, how it connects to the brain. People just didn't know, right? And now they do. And so it's like we have been authenticated, right? You know, everything we believe to be true is true. But back in the day, people like, it gave me like a little wink and a side eye, like, okay, you're crazy. Wow, yeah. (laughs) And so it wasn't the fear... It was, it really came down to just other people's, you weren't afraid of failing. You weren't afraid of not getting your money back. You weren't afraid of, it was, yeah, I was it just was afraid not of working. Judgment. It was really just like, what are people going to say about me? Yeah. What are people going to say about me? Yeah. But thankfully I'd been on reality TV, so I'd have developed a pretty thick skin by then. <laughs> mm, true. Yeah. So it was like, whatever. Yeah. Like say. what's the worst? I've already been on television when I'm 17. I mean, I can't imagine if somebody was filming me when I was 17, just very little chance I make it out of that being like, yeah, I was really proud of everything that I said and did (laughs) in front of millions and millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one of the upsides is that it's kind of like, what, (laughs) how much more more do you have to lose? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So will you share with us? So you've now been at it for seven years. Seven, yeah, seven going seven on years. Eight years. Well, yeah. congratulations on that. A very, very small percentage of entrepreneurs make it to year seven. Um, I'm curious. Over the last seven years of kind of launching the company, it's continuing to grow. Is there a moment you can share with us? You know, you're on you're on the Plucking Up podcast, and so we love to kind of hear not just about the highlights and the things that worked, but the mistakes and the rejections or the wrong turns kind of along the way. Because we, you know, we hear a lot like, oh, you have to fail in order to succeed. But then when it actually comes down to it, it's still a thing that a lot of us are really afraid of. And so we love to kind of demystify just in the same way this straight and narrow path towards, you know, finding your purpose, this straight and narrow path towards success. And so, you know, when you talk about, I wasn't really afraid to start but I have been afraid of other things over the last seven years. Can you can you tell us about one of those moments in the journey? Yeah, totally. Um, I think one of the most challenging things that you have to learn how to grow through, I think, is team changes. And mm-hmm. as a solo entrepreneur, people join your business um, in big roles sometimes and in small roles and other times. And not every 
working relationship works out. And it can be for a variety of reasons. And when you realize that your business can succeed or fail because of the mistakes or decisions of one individual or two individuals, it becomes pretty intense. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think as somebody who, you know, tries to be kind and make the right decisions, it can be challenging um, to have to make calls about individuals, right? People on your team. And so I think one of the things, the biggest like learning and growing experiences for me has been how to navigate hiring people, letting people go when it's necessary. And it feels really personal sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you have to just sort of rise above it because ultimately one bad person can cause you to lose a lot of good people. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to protect your team at large. And that's definitely a lesson that I've, I've had to learn and, and, and action against. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That taking it personally, it's hard because when you're, when your goal is for your workplace, not just to be a place where people come in and get a paycheck and leave, but that there is actual relationship and community and mutual respect I find that the shadow side of that is that making those decisions becomes a lot harder because it isn't just like, oh, you're a number and you're a person and it's the numbers aren't adding up or this thing, you know, went wrong. Totally. Um, but that, that can be that can be really painful. I'm curious, do you feel like you had some unique added challenges? I definitely in the earlier part of being in my career, especially as an entrepreneur, being like a young woman, definitely felt like there was this sense of I had to earn, people weren't assuming respect, right? Like I kind of had to earn it. And especially if you're hiring people that are older than you and more experienced than you, which is definitely a goal, right? Like hire people that know more than you and that have have more experience. (laughs) That is inherently challenging. And I experienced that. And I wasn't my employees couldn't go back and watch me on reality television when I was 17. Like, did that feel like something that you had to overcome? Like that, that carried forward of kind of this like interesting, like you have this moment of being a teenager and kind of stuck in time that Mm -hmm. people can like dip in and watch in a way that I met, if I met you when you were like 36 and this is the first time I'm meeting you and, and you didn't have that did that create any dynamics for you of just like feeling like you kind of had to, oh, I don't know, like reinvent yourself or kind of like work extra hard to gain respect from people as an entrepreneur well, and leader? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all I've, well, not all I've been doing, but what I've been doing day to day for the last seven years when I communicate with people is try to share who I really am, right? And that's not somebody that you see in like small you know, a couple second clips on TV here and there, right? Like I'm a person, I'm a complete person. And yeah, I mean, I I think one of the best things that I can do every day is just continue to tell my story though, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I've said, it's like, you know, sometimes the bylines are still like former reality TV star. I'm like, I'm so much, I'm so much more than that, right? And I understand that it's, you know, for clicks and stuff like that. But, you know, people take this stuff personally and, you know, it's just, it's just a constant, it's just a constant journey in which I continue to try to move forward. But I hope that it's apparent with how much passion I talk about my business and, you know, the subject matter that it's clear that, um, you know, I, 
have created a different life for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that comes through. Yeah. Well, if you were talking to anybody in our community that w- let's imagine they're in the season that you were like post getting the call about the cooking show, <laughs> pre having this idea that actually maybe this is a really interesting problem that I could help solve, not just for yeah. myself, but for other people. And they're kind of wading through that space of like, man, I just feel like doors are closing and this path that I thought I was on has suddenly been taken away. How would you encourage folks in that specific season of life, given yeah. your own experience? I would say that it's a really great time to do whatever you want, be whoever you want to be because of the resources at our disposal, namely the internet, but Technology, for the most part, is affordable. And you can start a website for like $5. You can beta test a product for pretty cheap. There's a lot of things that you can do um, if you are a Mm self-starter to drive your life in a new direction that didn't exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's as long as you have an idea and you have enough courage, you know, you can kind of do anything. There's a lot of great technology and opportunities at your disposal, you know, if you're willing to kind of like do the work and figure it out. Yeah. And it seems like you have a real spirit of kind of asking yourself the question of like, well, what's the worst that can happen? And if it doesn't (laughs) work, like, (laughs) you know, do something else. I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves of like, well, the next move has to be the thing. And it's like, but does it? Or is maybe it just the thing that gets you to the next thing that'll eventually get you to the thing. But that kind of spirit of being able to just pivot and experiment and kind of evolve, it seems very evident to me in how you kind of approach business and life. And I think it's something that can take a lot of the pressure off for folks. Yeah, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make another decision. I make new decisions every single day and it's making new decisions that drives your life forward, right? You are stuck in place if you are too nervous to to make decisions every day or if you're so worried about failure or what people are going to think, right? I think a really good way to think about it is sort of like the news cycle. You know how quick the news cycle moves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't be afraid to fail in your own life because nobody actually really is paying that much attention to you or cares that much. It's okay. You can make a mistake and make another decision. Like, look at the Kardashians, right? Like, they just move through the gossip. They don't even comment on it anymore. They just move straight on forward and they're fine. <laughs> it is true. Your point prior in a different context about how kind of being in the public sphere has been so democratized has created on the one hand it's it's harder to get market share right because you've got millions and millions of people who have access to the same tools they're no longer kind of guarded there's there's no the gatekeepers have been largely removed so that's yeah. that's a hard thing is that competition and being seen and getting traction and market share in whatever it is that you're trying to do is more challenging the benefit also is that there is so much happening. <laughs> There's so many people trying so many things that like, to your point, people can't really keep up with it. And so just like, go live your life. Do do what brings you to life. Solve the problem that feels most interesting to you. And the reality is, even if you pluck it up, 
the amount of people that are probably paying enough attention because there is so much vying for our attention these days is probably pretty limited. And I think that can actually create a very humbling, but also empowering spirit to go about and and to create and to do the next right thing. Could not agree with you more. (laughs) Uh, Well, Lo, thank you so much for being here on the show with us today. It was so fun to hear more about your story. Congratulations on the incredible work and very, very, very needed work of even just saying vagina on a regular basis, right? Of bringing women's health and knowledge and empowerment into kind of the broader public consciousness. It's so important. I'm so grateful for your work and congratulations on everything you've built. Thanks, Liz. Appreciate it. Where can folks find you, your book? and learn more about love wellness oh well you can find us at ulta lovewellness.com but we actually have a really fun front of store display at target stores nationwide right now to support all of your new year new you goals so you can find the book and all love wellness products right there right when you walk into any target store amazing thank you so much This podcast was made possible in part by my amazing producers at Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can visit me at lizbohannon.co or you can follow both of us on Instagram. I'm at lizbohannon and they're at Human Group Media. And we love, love, love hearing from our plucky audience. Well, until next time, stay plucky. Stay plucky.